really, I guess, seeking God on what he's saying and the season we're in. And this isn't my sermon. This is just something I'm saying in the context of that awesome song. I uh, just really felt God say he's preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. And I said that to Dean for Youth on Friday in the midst of all the, the battles and the diagnosis and the death and the trauma and everything going on, that God is actually preparing a table for the next generation of feasting and provision and blessing and favor. And although the enemy wants to devour, God's laid the table and you know he has the last say. And for those of you here, I just want to say that too. Maybe you're waiting on test results. Maybe there's circumstances that are raging. And I just feel the word of God for you in this season is that God's prepared a table for you. And the enemy thought he was coming to devour, but then he gets there and, hey, God's laid this beautiful table and it's actually a time for you to feast and just enjoy the favor and the blessing of God. And the enemy got it wrong. He's going to see that. He's going to see you at that table. And no greater power and name than that of Jesus. So he has the final say. Amen. And I loved hearing from um, Dean and Steph and Ev about what God's doing at youth and the salvations, testimonies of people encountering God's love. Is, is that not why we do this? And it just makes it, it always um, just makes sense, doesn't it? When you see people coming to know God, what we do makes so much sense. So thank you, God, for that. Thank you, team, for the awesome job you do with our youth to lead them, I guess, create a place where they can encounter the love and presence of God. So, lucky you guys get to hear me preach again. <laughs> Josh will speak next time. But um, I was in the car this week. I think I was bringing Tamana home from the Nestedford in Nara. And oh, I think that was when it was. We were in the car a few times. But he was speaking to Josh on the phone and they had a little chat. And then kind of Tamana just ran out of conversation and it went silent. And Tamana's like, do you have anything else to say, Dad? And Josh is like, no. And he's like, okay, bye. And then I said to Tamana, it's funny, isn't it, like when you run out of conversation, like you just run out of conversation. I said, that happens to me all the time. And Tamana's like, yeah, but then you just keep talking and talking and talking. (laughs) I'm like, hey. He said, especially in church, you just don't stop talking. I was like, oh, gosh. So here I am again (laughs) from the mouths of babes. (laughs) Anyway. So uh, this morning I do, I wanted to speak on um, living a fulfilled life and you know how awesome is it with our youth and when you know friends in our life and those around us are coming to know Jesus and coming in to salvation. That is awesome but who knows that's not the end point that actually God wants more for us than just I guess that initial salvation. He wants us to journey with him and and live a fulfilled life and um, continue to grow and flourish. God just doesn't want to leave us like done, you've ticked your box, leave you to just do your own thing. We're on a journey with him. And I've been listening to some awesome stuff from a pastor in Auckland, the Equipus Church in Auckland, Steve Graham, on this. And I just want to share some of it with you this morning because I've been getting so much out of it. And, you know, in a world just full of voices that are offering fulfillment and pleasure and happiness, whether it's money, whether it's sleeping around, whether it's loose relationships, the world's just screaming, like, try this out, try this out. I can make you happy. So many loud and attractive voices, but often... The only thing behind most of this stuff is pain and emptiness. And I guess it's attractive. And then once you're in it, um, it just kind of devours and it's empty. It's going to leave you unfulfilled. But Jesus stands amidst these voices and he actually says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give life. And there's a verse in Proverbs 1.20, a proverb, says, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. There's actually a voice of Jesus in the public square saying, I can give you life. I can give you fulfillment. Everything that you're searching for in all these places, I've actually got the answers. And 
I love hearing people who are actually searching and often they feel there's a, a hole and they're searching in different ways in the world and often you'll hear testimonies of people just hearing that still small voice from Jesus and him actually leading them into fulfillment with him and I love it when you hear that Jesus is crying out and the hungry hearts are finding him and you know sometimes there's gray areas in life <clears throat> but Jesus is pretty black and white I'll give you life and those other things won't. It's not like you can have a bit of those other things and a bit of me and we'll work it out. No, it's like Jesus' way, I'll give you life or you go the world's way and you, you don't find fulfillment. Jesus is an all or nothing kind of person. And Jesus has got some pretty upside down ideas around how this is going to work, some paradoxical ways of doing things. Uh, who wants to be great? Become a servant. That's not what I was expecting. You know, people who look for greatness are looking for riches and fame and popularity, but Jesus is the opposite. He's like, you want to be great, become a servant. Ten steps to success and flourishing. Serve everyone. Just become a slave. Doesn't, it's not like the conventional way of doing things. And Jesus isn't saying anything that he hasn't already done. He's lived this. He's become a slave. He laid down his life for us, to serve us, to serve all of humanity and to set us free. Just as the Son of Man came to serve and not... <coughs> be served and gave his life as a ransom for many and maybe if you have been searching as I said for greatness and for fulfillment you might be like is there a plan B is like is there another option than just service and laying your life down kind of sounds hard a bit boring um, but there is no well actually there is a plan B there's plenty of other offers but they won't bring fulfillment uh, in the same way that serving Jesus and laying your life down for him were they're not going to deliver Jesus has come to give life and fulfillment and one of the keys to fulfillment is the paradoxical idea that I become everything I want in life when I learn to surrender to something bigger than myself. And, you know, on the night before Jesus dies in John 13, it wasn't a random thought for him. You know, he actually washed the disciples' feet. It's one of the final things he did. One of his last great acts was to serve and to wash the feet of his disciples. Jesus knew, it says in there, God will put all things under his power. He knows how great he is. He knows he's the man, but he still chooses to actually lay his life down for others and to serve. And he actually says to the disciples in John 13, do you understand what I've done? Again, that's that wisdom crying out. I'm actually giving you the keys to life and happiness. I'm not, not just doing this as a nice idea. I'm actually trying to teach you something. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. I've washed your feet. Now wash each other's. He set us an example. He's giving us keys to flourish and succeed in life. And then uh, it says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He's given us the keys to be blessed. And it not, might not be, um, as I said, what we thought. We might thought he was going to show us some different keys how to be blessed. But that's all it is. It's so simple. Service, laying our life down. And Paul in Philippians talks about it again. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. I think I've got this one on the screen. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I love that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And I'll just finish it there. Jesus set the ultimate example, and this is uh, what Paul's talking about in terms of fulfillment. And uh, he's saying, if you follow me, you'll live the most fulfilled life ever. Just lay your life down. That's the offer, offer. That's the invitation. But it's not the end of the story. It says there, Jesus humbled himself and made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant. But in Philippians 2, verse 8 to 9, 
if we can pop that up, Pat. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I'm not sure. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. So Jesus humbled himself and God then exalted him. He didn't just stay there. And you know, God loves to exalt the humble because he knows that it's not about them. And that's the whole, the first will be last, the last will be first. As we humble ourselves, there's actually an exalting that comes, that it comes through service. And I spoke recently about the seven mountains of influence and God actually raising us to places of influence in the cultural, seven cultural mountains in our world. But that's not about actually having power and control. I spoke about character, how character is actually key to influence. And humility is a part of that. As we're actually humble and as our character is good, God can actually entrust us influence and can actually, I guess, raise us up. So it's not about climbing a ladder. It's about humbling ourselves before God and others. And then he exalts us. It happens naturally. And this isn't a strategy on how to do church. This is actually kingdom wisdom on how to do life. The heartbeat of Highway Church here is to actually equip people. Our second mission statement is to help people grow and flourish. And that's the heart of this. It's not saying learn to serve so we can build the church. Like that's a bonus. This is learn to serve and lay your life down and you're going to have a fulfilled and awesome life. And it's like, this is, we've got a secret. We want everyone to know about it. You advance in life through serving something bigger than yourself and serving others. It's what Jesus said. So that's just a bit of a introduction. If this is what Jesus said and and what Paul's talking about in Philippians. If it's true, you might think that other people might be talking about it or you might think that maybe some psychologists who have researched happiness and fulfillment might be discovering similar strains and it is actually happening. People, psychologists studying how to, I guess, have a successful life are coming up with similar things. And I want to talk about three examples where people have found out that what Jesus is saying actually works. It's not a marketing gimmick. It's not a religious trip. It's public truth about how life works. And I love what Lisa was saying. That's, um, it's biblical truth, but it's becoming public truth about how life and spirituality and generational blessing works. Jesus is so clever and the world just has taken a while to catch up, I guess. <laughs> so the first is from a man named Martin Seligman. He's a, professor of, he's a professor of psychology. He's not uh, some flaky new age person. He's actually the president of the American Psychological Association. And he's written this book called Authentic Happiness, which Pat might pop up. Um, it looks a bit new agey, but it's actually scientific, science again, scientific research on how people find happiness and how to move forward and live a fulfilled life. And... Um, This man, Martin Seligman, he actually became sick of seeing people who were struggling mentally, seeing them, I guess, go through psychological therapy just to get back to square one where they were no longer in darkness, but then that was it. They weren't actually moving on to a fulfilled life. It's just they weren't in great pain. So I think this man was like, how do we not only get freedom but then live a fulfilled life? And this is what this book talks about. And he found three levels of happiness. The first one is the pleasant life. The second one is the good life. And the third, the most deepest one, is a meaningful life. Now, again, you might be like, what the heck is she talking about? This random book. Um, Again, I'm just trying to show that people are discovering what Jesus said is true. And we can choose to engage with what Jesus said or listen to the other voices that are screaming in our world. So, regarding these three levels of happiness. Firstly, the pleasant life. This is about having as many pleasures as possible and learning the skills to amplify them. So maybe if you like football, you learn how to be better at that so you can play it more and really enjoy it. Maybe if you like cooking, 
you learn how to do that better and you can do it more often, you can enjoy it surfing. There's something that you enjoy, you learn how to do it more so you can do it in a greater way and get more enjoyment and pleasure out of it. But the drawback of this, <coughs> excuse me, first level of happiness is that some people are never satisfied. Say someone wins a free trip to Fiji, they'll always be that person who complains about the humidity or complains about the sand in their board shorts that gave them a rash. Some people, no matter the degree of pleasure, ain't going to be happy. The second drawback is it habituates. You go to a restaurant the first time, it's really nice. The second time, it's okay. Third time, yeah. Fourth time, you're like, over it. I'd rather just have a nice home-cooked meal. So pleasure is nice in small doses, otherwise it just becomes the routine, the mundane. Same with a hotel. It's really nice if you do it every now and then, but if you're a travelling salesman or businessman and you're travelling all the time, you hate hotels and you just can't wait to be home in, in the comfort of home. And we found that when we were on holidays recently. We loved our stays in caravan parks and in, in hotels, but by the end of it, we're like, let's just get home to the comfort of our own home. Pleasure is good, uh, I guess in small doses, but you do it all the time. It's not pleasure. <coughs> it just becomes boring. So... It doesn't satisfy. In his argument, um, in psychological research, this is the most superficial level of happiness, according to Seligman. The second level of happiness is the good life. It's about what engages you. Um, time stops and you get caught up, whether in work, play or love. Time stops and it's about getting absorbed, something that you enjoy so much that you kind of, yeah, you're absorbed and you just lose track of time. Maybe it is surfing or sewing or studying or watching reality TV. <laughs> Um, hanging out with your loved ones, like it's different to all, for all of us. But um, Seligman says, the recipe to live the good life is know your greatest strengths, recraft your life to use them as much as you can. So I don't think watching reality TV is a strength. But um, <laughs> he's saying, if you want to have a good life, know what you're created to do, know what you're good at and do it. And you have a pretty good life. Hopefully there's some smart... Why are you laughing at me, Ruby? Hopefully there's some smart people in here who are like, oh, this sounds a little bit like the Bible. Be good stewards of the gifts God has placed in your life. Kind of what Seligman's paralleling there, like discover what you're created for and do it. And I talk a lot about being in your grace zone. And um, when you're in your grace zone, it brings a certain level of happiness. Find what you're good at, do it, maximise it. But it's still not the ultimate in fulfilment. It's not a meaningful life. That's just a good life. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, but just as pleasure is empty and wears thin after a while, so is operating in our grace zone and our strengths. If there's no purpose beyond ourselves, we can do what we're good at to our heart's content, but if it's just for us and not for something beyond us, it's not fulfilling. And this brings me to my third point, a meaningful life, the third level of happiness that Seligman talks about. He says, know how you're wired and use it for a greater purpose. The recipe in his words, know your highest strength, and use them to belong and in the service of something larger than you are. Ding, ding. This isn't Christian. This is just a psychologist studying what makes people happy and what has made them happy. The pleasant life, the good life, the meaningful life. People are beginning to get what Jesus has said all along. Give your life to something bigger than yourself. Use the gifts I've given you to serve that purpose. Do it in the context of relationship and I'll promise you, you'll be fulfilled. I forgot to say about the pleasant life, actually, that in all the pleasures, the thing that was found to actually bring the most pleasure, um, that was the most fulfilling at that level, was relationships and friendships. That was the most, I guess, fulfilling thing at, at that level. So relationships are great in the context of, I guess, knowing our strengths and having a greater purpose to serve. Martin Seligman boils it down to this, the equation to happiness and fulfilment 
Discover your strengths and use them often. You'll be happy. It's the good life. Want a truly meaningful life? Discover your strengths, use them often, and give them to something bigger than yourself. Jesus was so right, which we know that, but how good everyone else is discovering it. Um, Seligman also did research on how each level of happiness contributes to life satisfaction. Pleasure contributes almost nothing. The good life some and the meaning strongest. Pleasure is the whipped cream and the cherry on top of a meaningful life. If you can have the meaningful life down pat, if you're living for something larger than yourself, pleasure is great on top of that. It's enjoyable. It brings happiness. But on its own, pleasure is meaningless. It doesn't contribute anything to life satisfaction. So, want a recipe to a fulfilled life? Give your life to a cause greater than yourself. Serve God and people. Use your gifts to do that and throw in some great relationships and fun along the way and you're going to have a pretty awesome, fulfilled life. That's Seligman. And I just lo- love his research. And Have a read of that book if you want to look more. The second example of someone who has found what Jesus says works is a, na- is a man named Maslow. And um, any of you who have studied nursing or teaching or psychology have probably heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's um, actually the founder of the positive psychology movement. So I'm going to get Pat to pop up that colourful triangle first. Um, So this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the idea is that at the bottom we have basic needs, then psychological needs, then self-fulfillment needs. Maslow's theory is that before we can get fill the higher needs, we need to have the bottom needs filled. So before we can look at feeling love and belonging and esteem and self-actualization, we need to have our physiological needs. We need food, water, warmth, rest, and then we need safety. And then we can actually look at, I guess, meaningful relationships and look at that prestige and that feeling of accomplishment. And so we can't achieve those top things unless the bottom ones are covered and that has all sorts of ramifications I guess in psychology and nursing and just understanding how humans are wired but the top the peak according to Maslow in this model of human development and fulfillment is this self-actualization where you discover who you are you discover what you're created for you discover your full potential and as I said how interesting that we can't actually get to that point unless we've got those uh, I guess the earlier things sorted out so, and is what often happens in life, um, kind of what I've seen and probably you have seen too, people can kind of get these bottom ones in our modern Western society, but this self-actualization, people have a lot of drama over this. Who am I? What am I created for? I've, I've got a lovely family, I've got esteem, I've got work, I've got reputation, I've got a roof over my head. But what's my purpose in life? What am I here for? And people have midlife crisis over this. People leave their marriages over this. I'm not happy. I've got all this stuff. It must be my marriage. It must be my family. I'm going to go out and go on this adventure of self-discovery. It causes a lot of um, drama, I guess. It's carnage. But is what some, is, or I should say, is self-actualization really the peak of fulfillment? Is this the ultimate that everyone just needs to discover what they're created for, what their gifts are? is what some don't know is that Maslow amended his model later in life to actually add a higher value above self-actualization, which is, which is self-transcendence. So, um, Pat, do you want to put up the black and white one? The black and white triangle. So this is his new updated model. There's a few new things there, but he's added something above self-actualization. And self-transcendence is actually discovering who you are in the context of something larger and actually helping and discovering there's a greater purpose. It's everything that Seligman spoke about in The Meaningful Life. All right, and in this amended version, we also have um, cognitive needs added, knowledge, meaning, self-awareness, the need to know and understand. And 
aesthetic needs, which is just under self-actualization, which is about beauty and pleasure. So how interesting, that's again what Seligman was talking about in that pleasure, appreciating the beauty of life. And then we get to self-actualization, discovering who we are, our gifts, the good life. But the highest value is transcendence, discovering a larger purpose. So this is what it says about Maslow. In his later thinking, he argued that we can experience the highest level of development, self-transcendence, by focusing on some higher goal outside ourselves. Examples include altruism, serving something bigger, spiritual awakening, or liberation. How interesting. I love this. Life is caught up in something bigger than us, and psychologists are discovering it. And notice that placing self-transcendence above self-actualization results in a radically different model. While self-actualization relates to fulfilling our own potential, self-transcendence is about putting our own needs aside to serve something greater than yourself. Jesus was right all the time. Do we want to fulfill life, give your life to a cause greater than yourself, serve God and people and use your gifts to do that? As I said, throw in some great relationships and have some fun and you've got a great recipe. The third example of someone who has discovered the truth of what Jesus says. Um, I'm going to have a look at some leadership studies done by Jim Collins. He wrote the well-known book, Good to Great, and Pat might pop that up. In this book, he studies the seven characteristics of companies. It's a red one, Pat. That went from good to great. The very first characteristic is what he calls level five leadership. He found the most significant leaders of business had a curious mixture of humility and will. A blend of personal humility and intense professional will. An incredible gift of leadership blended with incredible personal humility was the key. How interesting. This is coming into business research. How key is humility to having a successful business, to flourishing in life? That attitude, it's not about me. I'm, I'm here to serve the organisation. I'm here to serve my customers, the mission. I'm humble but I have a fiercely professional will to advance the mission. That's the recipe for us. We're humble. You know, it's not about us. We lay down our lives, but we've got this will and this drive to actually serve a greater cause, the purpose of God, and serve others. Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. It's called servant leadership. You want to be great? Become the servant of all. When Jesus stands in the public square, that voice of wisdom that calls out, he's actually got credibility with psychologists and well, like world-renowned business researchers. People are discovering, as I said, what Jesus has been trying to get through to humanity for 2,000 years. And he's not inviting us into a religious sect or some cult. He's offering us the secret to success in life. Do it my way and I promise you, you'll find fullness and life to the full. He didn't make it up. Um, he's actually, uh, oh, and Jesus didn't make it up. He's actually developed this thought throughout all of scripture. God has developed it. Let's have a look at Joseph. The first five books in the Bible are actually the story of Israel coming out of captivity and into the promised land, out of slavery. Moses writes the prequel, Genesis, though. And in Genesis, we hear about creation, sin, flood, Abraham. But a quarter of the book of Genesis is devoted to Joseph. And considering that all those other things are pretty big issues, it's amazing that Joseph gets a quarter of it. Why is he so important? I love what Steve Graham says about Joseph. Because he's the paradigm, the model of success. Specifically, he's the fulfillment of the phrase, we're blessed to be a blessing. God touches your life and raises you up to be a blessing, but it's not about you. He's positioning you to be a blessing to others. So he spends 13 chapters in Genesis just to try and get this through to us. This is what success looks like. And the picture of the initial fulfillment of this blessing is God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, um, God starts the redemption work and he grabs Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. 
and I'm going to bless your generations to come and, and so on. The thing is, religious people since then have grabbed a hold of that and said, I'm special, God's going to bless me, I'm chosen, I've God's gift to the world, God likes me, he doesn't like those awful sinners, he's just blessed us righteous people. It's actually never been about that. If you just stop at Abraham, you might get that blessing picture. But as you look to Joseph, you can see he's blessed us to be a blessing. It's all about being blessed so that we can bring freedom to a world who needs it and blessing to those who need it. He chooses you to be the agent of his blessing and we're privileged enough to be able to, I guess, take part of it. Uh, In Genesis 49, um, Joseph's dad, Israel, blesses Joseph and he gives a blessing to all of the sons. And I find it really interesting if you read through it, the different blessings. But I love what he says over Joseph. By the God of your Father who will help you and with the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and the worm, the blessings of your Father have excelled, the blessings of my ancestors. And it goes on and on. Joseph was a blessed man. He didn't say that over any of his other brothers. Joseph just gets all the blessing. But God spent Joseph's whole life teaching him that it wasn't about him. From slavery to being outcast to being in prison, It was never about Joseph. He was blessed, but that's what blessing looked like, God positioning him to be a blessing to a whole lot of others. And it's always been the challenge for religious people to not cut off at the top. I'm blessed. End of story. Just being blessed is not the goal. The goal is to lay down our lives and serve humanity just as Jesus set the example for. We're chosen to be his vehicle to serve others. It's the key to our fulfillment too, in our laying down our lives and um, discovering a greater purpose. Being blessed is not the ultimate goal <coughs> to share it. So, Israel loved Joseph more than his brothers. Joseph knew he was special. He got that technicolor coat when he was younger, and it was pretty obvious he was the favorite. And as I said, the church is getting stuck at first base on that. I'm loved, I'm called, God's given me this special favor. I have a destiny, we're going to rule and reign. If we just stop there, we don't understand the heart of Jesus. Joseph goes through terrible things in, and he did end up running a world empire of his day, the world empire of his day, Egypt. And a famine starts across the land. Joseph, in his wisdom, and because God had given him dreams, dreams had actually stored up grain, uh, which is amazing. And in Genesis 41, verse 57, it says, The whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Talk about blessed to be a blessing. Through you, every nation on earth will be blessed. This is the fulfillment of it. Joseph is a picture of God raising up his people to be the blessing of God to the known world. That's what it's always been about. Sometimes it's a challenge to feed our family for a week. (laughs) Joseph fed the known world for five years. How great is the blessing and the favor that God had poured out upon him for the world. That's why they allocate a quarter of the book of Genesis to him. He's the paradigm, he's the model, he's the example Here's the picture of being blessed and called and raised up to a point where you can bless a whole lot of people. We're not called to take over the world. We're called to bless and love and serve our cities. Joseph got this. When his brothers betrayed him, um, this is another example, when he finally met up with his brothers, he said, don't be distressed. It was to save many lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was always about you. When I was young, I thought it was about me. You know, I had dreams of people bowing down to me, but Joseph realized by the end of his life, it was never about him. His journey was all about God positioning him so that one day he could save his brothers and save a world that was going to die in famine. Joseph got it. Two amazing verses, um, Genesis 45, verse 7 and verse 8. This is what he says. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant, on, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not 
um, you who sent me, but God. And I love this. He starts that little sentence or those couple of sentences with God and God. God sent me for you. And it was God who sent me at the end. It starts and begins with God. That's the recipe to fulfillment and great success in life. You know, there's an interesting distinction in anthropology between magic and religion. Religion is surrendering your life to a greater power. Magic is using techniques to manipulate that power for your ends. A lot of us, I think, maybe if we search our hearts, might find we treat God as magic. I'm going to treat, I'm going to use you to get what I want. Playing with fire. Maybe we actually crave leadership or to be used by God. And we masquerade it as, I want to serve God, but really it's all about the desire of your heart. Maybe you want the power or the accolade, which leadership is not about that. It's hard work, which lots of you will probably know. And if that's the only goal, I'd say something in your heart's not right. It's not about aiming to be a leader in, in high places. It's aiming to serve. And if God elevates you, so be it. God help you. <laughs> um, Leadership isn't glamorous or prestigious, it's hard work and it takes a lot of courage and a willingness to love, challenge and lead. Let's not treat God like magic, it's something we use to fulfill our own desires. It's about surrendering our lives to God and Him just leading. And us saying, okay God, whatever you want, I'll do it, I don't care. I just want to help, help the mission, serve you, serve others. Starts and ends with God and as I said, in the middle, between God, it's all about others. As Joseph said, God sent me for you and at the end it was all God who did it but in the middle was about his brothers it was about people God sent me ahead of you to save your life he was blessed to be a blessing Joseph's position was leadership but his purpose was servanthood leadership was just a platform on which to serve it wasn't the main goal so are you looking for fulfillment find a bigger purpose and find a group of people God has called you to serve guaranteed you will find fulfillment <coughs> and from prison to the throne Joseph exercised his gift um, for the purpose of others and the service of others. Whether he was speaking to the prison guards or the prisoners or wherever he was, he was being used by God. Remember what Seligman said, discover the sweet spot and use it for a higher good. It's been there since Genesis 12, Genesis 37 to 50 with Joseph, the Gospels with Jesus, Paul and Philippians. It's weaved throughout the word. Um, to finish, I might get Ryan up on guitar. It says of David in Acts 13, 36, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. David was a great king, a great warrior. He recovered Jerusalem and he wrote a whole lot of Psalms in the center book of our Bible. I love the Psalms. But what does it say about him? Above all else is all it says about David in Acts was he served the purpose of God in his generation. That's all that mattered. And I think, isn't that what, isn't that what it's all about? If someone wrote that about me at the end of my life, that Sarah served the purpose of God in her generation, I'll be stoked. That's my heart's desire. And I hope that's your heart's cry too, that one day God says, Rosie served the purpose of God in her generation. Marita served the purpose of God in her generation. Harrison served the purpose of God in his generation. Luke served the purpose of God in his generation. If that was written about each and every one of us, wouldn't that be a pretty amazing thing? Wouldn't you feel like, I've done what I was created for and one day we are going to stand before God and give account for our lives and if we take those three levels the pleasant life there's a Jewish saying in the Talmud that says we're going to have to give account for every good thing in our life that we didn't stop and enjoy oh, that's really interesting we are called to live lives of gratitude and to enjoy the good things in our life but that's not 
the main thing. That's not, I guess, the essence of life, the meaningful life. That's just, it's good for us to appreciate the beauty and the good things in life. I don't want to get to heaven and God be like, you just complained about everything. <laughs> the sand in your board shorts. Two. Um, let's see the best in life and not the worst. Two, the good life. We're called to steward our gifts and abilities. God's not going to say when we come before Him, Sarah, you didn't do a very good job of being Josh or you didn't do a very good job of being Mark and Liz or you didn't do a very good job of being Moses or David. He's going to say, Sarah, how did you steward the gifts I put in you? How did you steward who I created you to be? That's all I'm accountable to answer for. That's all you're accountable to answer for. You don't have to be anyone else, just you. Discover who you are. Do it well. Maximize it. You stand before Jesus at the end of the day and he's going to be like, good job, son. Good job, daughter. You were who I created you to be. It's all he's ever asked. Three. But above all that, we're going to stand before Jesus, you and I, and we're going to look into his eyes and in his heart beats the heart of a servant king. And there's either going to be this resonance of a kindred spirit. Our whole lives were about serving God. Well, it wasn't at Jesus. We took our gifts and we laid it down for humanity and we laid it down to serve others a greater purpose. And Jesus might say, it was tough at times, wasn't it? But you did it. I'm so proud of you. Or he's going to say, we're not on the same page, are we? We're on different pages. Who are you? says in the Bible, he'll say to some people, who are you? Were you doing what I called you to do? Were you feeding the poor? Were you helping the down and out? Did you surrender your life to serve others? We're on different pages. Jesus is like it's about serving a greater cause and using your gifts and abilities to serve him and others, but you just made it all about you. It's a pretty weighty thing to think about. We face a decision. Jesus made a radical claim. There's a whole lot of voices out there promising stuff. It's not going to work. You'll do it my way. And I'll give you life and life abundant. And here's the key to surrender your life. And here's the key. Surrender your life to my purpose. Follow me. And use your gift to serve me and others. And as we finish and we sing, we're going to sing new wine. I just really want us to reflect on where we stand with Jesus. Even as I was preparing this message, I could just feel the weight of heaven and the call of God just to stir up in us that heart of a warrior king, a servant king, to actually lay down our lives for humanity, humanity, to lay down our lives for a greater cause, to serve others. And I feel there's going to be a deep fulfillment that's found for some of you that might have been wrestling and yet haven't found it. As you lay down your life and you connect with the king and you just, I guess, open your heart to him and have a conversation going, where am I at? Where's my heart at? If I stood before you tonight, what would you say about my life? Have I stewarded it well? Have I served others? Have a think. There's an invitation. There's an offer of a fulfilled life. And I do want you to stand before him one day and find you have a kindred spirit with Jesus and him to say, welcome friend, you did this. And perhaps for some of you, um, you've already made that commitment and you've said, yeah, I've committed my life to a greater cause. I want to serve God. I want to serve others and use the gifts of my life to do that. And if that is you, may you be encouraged this morning and maybe even just reminded afresh of the great power of that. And and maybe you've said that, but you're kind of like, I'm not really feeling fulfilled. Maybe there's something that God's going to minister to you deeply this morning because that's the promise that Jesus came to give life abundant. And as you serve Him and walk with Him, that's the promise. That's what you should be walking in. So let's stand. And this song is all about, oh, thank you, Ben. Sorry, please come up. Um, This song is all about surrender and, and yielding to Jesus, yielding our lives.